Luke chapter 20 from verse 39. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him any more. And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Let's pray once more. Again, O God, we plead now for your spirit to be upon us and to work among us and to deal with us and to operate in our hearts. O God, whatever may block our ears or divert our attention, whatever stops us listening, hearing, receiving the word of God with all readiness, take it away this morning that the preaching of the word may be with power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance and bring blessing to every soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ has now faced and has bested all his enemies, at least those who have been gathering around him in the temple in Jerusalem. He has come up acknowledging that the praises of the people to him as the son of David and the true Messiah are perfectly appropriate. He has cast all the uh, wickedness and the vileness and the hypocrisy out of the temple and he's taken up residence to teach the word of God. And there he has been approached time and again by the Pharisees and then by the Sadducees, uh, by others in between. He has been contending with them as they have challenged him with regard to his identity. Who are you? And his authority. Who do you think you are to be doing these things? And there have been moments of uh, response He's taught the parable of the, the vine dressers or the farmers, the tenant farmers. And now he comes to a particular counter strike. Verse 41 And he said to them. Now it may be he's speaking to all of them. There are a number of people who've been gathered around him. Uh, perhaps they come day by day. Perhaps they've all come at once and they've succeeded one another very rapidly. But it may then be that our Lord is now speaking to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and to the people and to the disciples. And he is now going to begin exposing something of thoughtless religion and mindless tradition. Or it may be that he wants specifically to deal with the Pharisees. That scribe who answered after he'd uh, dealt with the Sadducees and exposed the, the foolishness of their thinking that there was no and could be no bodily resurrection. Remember the scribe said, oh, teacher, you've spoken well. Oh, perhaps he's on our side after all. Perhaps he's, he's quite happy for us to establish David's kingdom once again. He could help us to get rid of these Sadducees. And yet they're still confused. His challenge to them, this counter-strike, whether it's to a particular group or to all the groups gathered together, again reveals the wisdom and the understanding of our Lord Jesus. I hope it's been delighting you. 
I've, I've been stunned and overjoyed. Remember the language of Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Our Lord knows his Bible. He knows the Old Testament. Now we said before, some of these Pharisees, they would have had the entire Old Testament, Genesis through to Malachi, off by heart. They'd have been able to recite any portion of it. I think our Lord could have done the same thing. The difference is he understands what is in his hands, what is in his head, what is in his heart. And there's a courage that is born of that. There's a self-awareness then that characterises all his dealings. And he brings this crowd face to face with himself. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He asks a question about David's son. How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Then he raises the testimony about David's Lord, because David himself, himself said in the book of the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then he presses home the problem. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now, we might read that and say, is there a problem? What, what's the issue here? What's the difficulty? What is our Lord saying, both in terms of exposing their lack of understanding and teaching what they ought to grasp? So we'll work through the question about David's son, the testimony about David's Lord, and then the problem that our Lord presses into their hearts and ours, and the answer that we might find. So here's the question. Remember, this is our Lord's rejoinder. This is him going on the offensive again. This is him challenging them about what they really understand. How is it that they say that the Christ is the son of David? That's the united testimony of the scribes and the teachers. It's the united testimony of the scriptures, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the promised deliverer. How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? On what basis can you make that claim? And the answer might be, well, it's obvious. It's the united testimony of the whole Old Testament. As soon as you've got David, you've got promises that are being made to and about the son of David. Let me run through with you just a few of the more obvious declarations. We're going to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You don't necessarily need to turn to all of these, although I hope that you will recognize some of them. Here's 2 Samuel 7 from verse 11. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused them to rest from all your enemies, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. 
When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David, you are now the king. And from your body, from your seed, after you will come from your body someone who is going to reign on your throne. He is the one who will truly build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You'll find it scattered all throughout the Psalms. I'll give you one representative text, Psalm 89 and verse 19 and following. Psalm 89 from verse 19. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. He goes on speaking of of how he will take David and, and raise up one who will be the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And then down into verse 35, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David, his seed, his descendant shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Isaiah is privileged to speak of these things. Here's Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Just a couple of pages over, verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. A rod from the stem of Jesse, from the family of David, Out of the stump, a green shoot, a branch out of his roots. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. You could go to chapter 33 of Jeremiah, Ezekiel 34. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5, Micah 5 and verse 2, out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I will raise up this king. How is it then that the people say that Christ is the son of David? Well, what other conclusion could you draw? That's the point. That's why we're going to these references. 
over and over and over again from the very moment that the Lord establishes the house of David and then down through those succeeding prophets it's emphasized that a king is going to come the Lord's anointed the Messiah who will sit on David's throne who will establish his kingdom who will have God watching over him who will bring this one to establish the house and kingdom for God And it's worth remembering that our Lord has publicly acknowledged those who have called upon him as the son of David. Remember the, the blind man outside Bethany. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And our Lord did not say, hang on, you've identified me wrongly. And when he came into the, into the temple, into the temple, into the city... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These are Davidic, messianic praises. It's the undeniable declaration of the Old Testament that the Messiah descends from the royal line. That a king of David's line is coming. He is physically the son of David. How can they say that Christ, the Christ, is the son of David? Well, how could they not? It's there all the way through. Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is the testimony about David's Lord. It's obvious that Messiah is David's son, but David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Again, it's lovely the way our Lord refers to his Bible. You go back a few, uh, a few lines, even Moses showed in the bush. You remember how our Lord, he's not using a Bible with chapters and verses, so he refers to uh, places or episodes. God said, or Moses said, in the bush passage. Here he's got, in the book of Psalms. Uh, some of us who sometimes struggle to remember chapters and verses might take some comfort and encouragement from that. Uh, my, my brother, whenever he was asked in family worship, uh, where in the Bible does it say this? He'd always go with Isaiah on the basis that it was quite long and uh, maybe a, a fairly good guess uh, and that somewhere in there it might have been said. Now, our Lord isn't making that kind of assertion. He knows exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about Psalm 110, as we refer to it, there in the book of Psalms, where the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted part of the Old Testament in the New Testament. More than 20 times, directly and indirectly, it is referred to. It was there at least twice in Hebrews chapter 1 that Tim read for us a little earlier. Sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and then at the end of the chapter, to which of the angels has he ever said? So, this is David's psalm. David himself said in the book of Psalms. If you ever read some of the commentators, you know, who wrote this? When was this written? 
Well, the Lord Jesus knew that Psalm 110 was written by David himself. It's not just about David. This is David's own testimony, not that of anyone else. And David says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110 is about Messiah. It is about the Christ. It is about the Lord's anointed, the conqueror and the redeemer of God's people. Now, in our English translations, and some of you may have one where the first Lord there is in capitals and the second one isn't. The first name there, the Lord, that is the name Yahweh or Jehovah, sometimes we use in English. It is the I am, the eternal and ever-living God. The Lord said to my Lord, that is Adonai, that is Messiah, that is the Lord in a slightly different sense. So you've got these two distinct persons. Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies. But not just Yahweh said to Adonai, but the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, my Adonai, sit at my right hand, take up a place at the seat of majesty, receive power and glory and honour and authority until I make your enemies your footstool. The eternal God of heaven speaks to David's son as the mediator, as the redeemer, as the conqueror. And David acknowledges this son as distinct from Yahweh and superior to David. My son, my Lord, who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 44. Now here's the problem. David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now why is that a problem? It is because to Christ to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, in this society, at this time, in a way that perhaps, well, certainly should be more the case in our society, but was definitely the case in theirs, sons answer to their fathers. They do not rule over them. Descendants admire and respect their ancestors. The ancestors do not look up to their descendants. So when David refers to the Messiah who is his son as his Lord, we're faced with two big problems. How does David speak of his future son as his present Lord? Messiah hasn't come yet. And yet the Lord says to my Lord... Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies 
your footstool. And the second part of the problem is this. How can he be descended from David and yet exalted above David? How can he be son and Lord? How's that going to fit together? After all, bear in mind, David is the ideal king. David is as good as it gets. All the kings after David are judged against David. And as you look at the line of the kings, even from Solomon, Solomon sort of peaks but then collapses in his, in his wickedness, in his departure from God. The line of David after David is a line of drifting and diluting. How is great David going to have a greater son? It's one thing to say we're looking for someone to restore David's throne, but now you've got someone who's going to be on David's throne of whom David doesn't just say, this is my son and he's a bit like me. This is my son and this is my Lord. You see, the Pharisees at best expected that David's kingdom on earth would be re-established, that a son might come who might begin to attain to the majesty and honour which David had. And yet now David himself is speaking of his son as his own Lord, who has been appointed to this majesty and glory and authority and honour and power by none less than the living and true God. And this is the question that our Lord is putting to the people around him. How can Messiah be David's son and David's Lord at one and the same time? Those two things cannot hold together, can they? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Now I hope you're left hanging by that. Luke's deliberately not giving us the answer immediately. David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? My friends, that's a question the Pharisees and the Sadducees need to answer. It's a question that Theophilus, remember the man to whom Luke is writing this book? He needs to be able to answer that question. And you need to be able to answer that question. You need to be able to look at the testimony of Scripture that the Messiah descends from David. And you need to be able to read Psalm 110 and understand how the Lord could say to David's Lord, sit down at my right hand. When you read Hebrews chapter 1, who is this who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? Who is this of whom it is spoken what was never spoken to an angel. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How do you solve the riddle of the one who is David's son and David's Lord? Jesus of Nazareth has already claimed David's throne. You can go all the way back to the beginning. Verse 27 of chapter 1 to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Or again in chapter 1 and verse 32. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One is, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 69, Zacharias sings that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Chapter 2 and verse 4, Joseph went from Galilee in Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. We've got this all the way along from his very infancy, from his conception, from before his conception. This Jesus of Nazareth, he's David's true son. And now he's acknowledged that he is the son of David, that he is Messiah, that he is the king who has been promised. Is then this Jesus of Nazareth also David's Lord? How can it be? How could it be that David, so many centuries before, would speak of Jesus of Nazareth and say, the Lord said to this man, my son, my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How does that hold together? What's the answer? Can it be dealt with? Yes. Yes. The only possible explanation, the answer to the riddle, is that Messiah is both man and God in two distinct natures and one person forever. As God from eternity, Messiah is David's Lord. And so while David lives, he can speak in this way. Yahweh said to my Adonai. The ever-living God said to my Lord. And as man in history, he is David's son. Descended from him, long promised so that when Mary asks, how will these things be? How is it that I will bring forth a royal son who will sit on the throne of his father David and over whose kingdom there shall be no end? The power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Therefore, that one who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. He is God and he is man. Do you remember what our Lord said in John chapter 8 when they were, the Pharisees were challenging him there about his relationship to Abraham? You know, you're not even 50 years old yet. Who do you think you are to be talking about Abraham? I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus of Nazareth could have said the same thing about his father David. Before David was, I am. For I am God and I am man. What do you have here? Not just a declaration of the fact that Messiah is David's son and David's Lord. But even his humiliation and exaltation. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Come here and sit down in the place of power and authority and glory and majesty until I make your enemies your footstool. Why does somebody need to be raised up? 
Because they have stepped down. Why does somebody need to be seated on high? Because they stepped from their high throne. And that's where again you get that beautiful language, for example, in Hebrews. To which of the angels did God ever say these things? No, he said it to a man who is also God, the eternal son who took flesh and blood, who is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, from whose being shines all the glory and excellence of God himself, who stepped into this fallen world, who took our humanity, who suffers and dies, who did not turn away from the smiters, who gave his face and his beard to the spitters and to the terrors. This is Messiah and God said to him I will raise you up what comfort as Messiah is being dragged down surrounded by his enemies come to the place where he will suffer and die at the hands of the people (coughs) of Israel and at the hands of the Romans here he is God's equal in being and in rule. And David's true son and David's true Lord, the man Christ Jesus. My friends, this should stun us over again. This should delight us. This should encourage and instruct us. Do we think about what is stated and implied in the Old Testament? Go back to the earlier portion where we looked at Christ's answer to the Sadducees. Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Have you read Exodus 3 and thought, oh well, that's who he is? Our Lord says, no, when you read these portions of the Old Testament... These are the kinds of things that you need to be looking for. These are the truths that are there to be mined. And some of them seem to lie readily on the surface. Here's the same now in chapter 20 and verse 42 and 43, referring to Psalm 110. Did we read Psalm 110 and go, oh, now that's Messiah. And those verses speak of the fact that David's son is also David's eternal Lord, that he is going to be brought low, but he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and all his enemies will be made his footstool. Doesn't this make you feel ignorant? Doesn't this make you ask, Lord, how have I read this book over and over and over again? Genesis through to Revelation. Some of us perhaps who've been in the way for years and years, how many times have you read every word of your Bible? I hope for some of you are saying, 20, 30, 40. Every word of it's been precious to me, but I didn't even realize how precious. I'm not even seeing some of these things. Ah, here is the man who sees it all. And here is the man who can bring that challenge to bear against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What a rebuke to our shallowness. Doesn't this set you praying? Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. 
Let me read the book of Genesis and of Exodus and of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ezra and Nehemiah. Let me see Christ there. Let me read Isaiah and see the Lamb of God lifted up. Let me read Jeremiah and see the King who comes. Let me read Ezekiel and see the shepherd who governs. Let me read the scriptures and find Christ on every page and in every paragraph. And what an invitation to discovery. My friends, read your Bible expecting to see Jesus there. Jesus of Nazareth, the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah of God. It is perfectly right and proper. And there's a, there's a terrible approach to interpretation in our days that almost sucks Jesus out of the Old Testament. No, we ought to be doing what our Lord's doing, looking back through the lens of the incarnation of the eternal Son and saying, ah, ah, now it begins to make sense. Now I begin to see him. Now I begin to delight in him. Now in the sacrifices, now in the priesthood, now in the, the, the experience of Israel, now in those deliverances, now through those prophets, now through those priests, and now through those kings, now in the histories, now in all the types and the shadows, I begin to see the man Christ Jesus. He was always there, but now I grasp where he really is. Our Lord then has the richest scriptural notions of himself. And what he's doing here is he's effectively reaching out to these people. You see, they've come with these gotcha moments. Now, and what are you going to do about this one? Do we pay taxes to Caesar or don't we? Ah, oh, that'll stump him. And the Sadducees. What, what about these, uh, this woman who was married to seven brothers, one after the other? In the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Yeah, now we've got him in a corner. And the Lord Jesus isn't just scoring points here. Yes, he's exposing their ignorance. Yes, he's challenging their failures. But you see what he's holding out? If they answer the question, they've got it. If they can only put two and two together and make four. Well, this is how David's son is David's Lord. But the one who is descended from David according to the flesh is also the eternal son of God come into the world. That's the kind of king he is. That's the kind of kingdom he brings. That's the throne on which he sits. That's the honour and the glory and the majesty that belong to him, that after he has suffered a little while, he will be raised up. He will be seated at the right hand of God, where he will sit until all his enemies are made his footstool. Our Lord is holding out an enlarged view of the Messiah to men and women who've never really understood they've had the evidence before them his works and his words have testified that he is indeed the son of God they've only served to underline the biblical proofs and our Lord is sending them now back to their Bibles this is written this is written you know that the Messiah is David's son. How can David also say, he is my Lord? 
And Christ leaves the answer hanging, not to prove that he's cleverer than them, not so that he can have his ha-ha moment back on them, but as it were, he steps back and he leaves the space and he says, step in, get this, grasp this, understand this, see me, that I, Jesus of Nazareth, am David's son, And David's Lord. These Pharisees. What they expect. David's kingdom restored. David's throne re-established. A man with a crown. Who will kick out the Romans. And re-establish the boundaries. And make earthly Israel rich and powerful once more. think Christ must have grieved over such a low shallow pathetic notion of the kingdom and here he says there's so much more not some narrow nationalistic endeavour not some passing earthly kingdom this is not just picture language of a king who reigns for a long time This is the son of David whose throne is established forever. Who brought up from the depths is seated at the right hand of God until all his enemies are made his footstool. Brought low indeed, but raised on high. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does it begin to make sense? Does it begin to make more sense? What does saving faith do, my friends? Saving faith takes Jesus of Nazareth as God and man. Saving faith rests upon Jesus of Nazareth as David's son and David's Lord and sees in him the fulfilment of all the prophecies, the answer to all our needs, the saviour of sinners, the great high priest, the last prophet who speaks not just from God, but as God, and the king who now reigns on high until his enemies are made his footstool. Saving faith can answer this question. Can you? David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Faith says, I know. 
Faith says, I understand. Faith says, not so much I've got it, as I have him. My Lord and my God, my Saviour, my Redeemer, my Conqueror and my King. Faith sees this Jesus with believing eyes, God's Christ, David's Son, David's Lord, and trusting him enters his eternal heavenly kingdom. Amen.